0: This week on Three Sides of the Coin, holy crap, do we get a lot of minutiae from Mitch Weissman, including comparing writing with Paul versus writing with Gene and being in the studio during Animal Eyes and his impressions of Mark St. John and the first time he met Vinnie Vincent and Howard Marks and Carl Glickman and Bill O'Coin and... uh, Mitch Weissman's got so many stories to share. You want to watch this. This is
1: Three Sides of
2: the Coin, talking all things KISS.
1: I
0: want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. You got the three knuckleheads. Uh, Sorry we weren't here last week for you. It was a last minute. I don't know. You you know, I went up to the scrimmage line and I didn't like the defensive line I saw and I called an audible and we, we pulled the plug on last week because frankly, I had some windows installed that I didn't know were being installed and it was noisy as hell and there was no way I was going to be able to record with pounding and saws cutting through concrete and all this other shit that they were doing so well, if
3: there was some flute playing we would have had it would have been no ex- problem exa- exactly we get a
0: little flute serenade in <laughs> this this week's interview um but we're back this is episode 499 that means we got one more to go you think we can make it to 500 or do we just yeah. give up now should we just pull the plug and just say that's it we've gone far enough
3: No, I think we owe it to our 12 listeners.
0: (laughs) I have no idea. I mean, guys, honestly, no idea what we're going to do next week for show 500. No freaking clue. We don't have a guest. We don't have a topic. But we know we're recording a very important show. So we'll see what happens. Sort of what we do every freaking week when we sit down and hit the record button. We got no idea um tommy oh yeah i was gonna say comments but you're freaking out in the car you don't have anything
3: yeah, i'm in my i'm in my car and we didn't have a show last week
0: yeah but we could have done something from two weeks ago which you also did which
3: i do. would have if i yeah i just got hung up in work it's just been one of those excuses weeks. excuses excuses um, yeah no uh, well uh, hey i had windows installed what do you want yeah you know? yeah exactly blame <laughs> me
0: it's the tool's fault um yeah. Don't forget about Three Sides of the Coin Radio, people. Check out three sides of the coin for details on how to launch our KISS radio station 24-7, 365. Um, we're getting close to the creatures of the night box set. That's not even a month, a month from today, isn't it? A month from today, as we record this, it comes out. Yeah my fingers are crossed that kiss online doesn't leave me freaking hanging and, and we hanged. get it the
3: first week of january yeah know.
0: exactly so we can do a nice show talking about it um
3: well look at it this way you'll get it before you get the 2020 kiss 2020 ouch, dubai. ouch.
0: kiss yeah the dubai show <laughs> yeah hey it it, it it honestly would be really cool if kiss to at least make a statement on that but we know they also never made a statement about the Destroyer shipping fiasco. Uh, it's it's just poor customer relations all the way around. All the way around. But I, I will make a bet. I bet you see something from Kiss 2020 Goodbye before you see anything magic related.
3: The, the world is going to end before we see anything magic related. <laughs> you know?
0: um all right so i don't think there's anything else kiss related to talk i'm looking around to see if i got anything kiss sitting around that i needed to remind myself about
3: no well, and there was something i wanted to talk about with with regards to um those last couple shows i saw but i i wrote it down somewhere i gotta find it so maybe we'll maybe, it maybe,
0: maybe we'll talk about that next week
3: we 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 got a show so
0: yeah we got to yeah. feed mark uh yeah. this week an incredible interview and we know this because we're recording this part of the show after we did the interview i don't know why it took us 10 years to get this guy on as a guest but we are joined by mitch weissman and some of you might go oh yeah mitch didn't he like co-write one song on Animalize animal eyes or something like that no you got to listen yeah. to this
3: interview
0: he did way more than a little bit on Animal Eyes. I mean, all the way from how he first met Kiss in 1976, he shares so many incredible stories about hanging with Gene and Paul, about them coming to see him perform, him going to see them perform, songwriting comparisons of writing verse with Gene versus writing with Paul. He even gives us insight to the the tensions that were going on in the kiss world during the 80s when gene checked out to become mr hollywood um this is an amazing show of a lot of minutiae for many years this isn't like minutia on one song or one album uh, he talks about glickman marks he talks about bill of coin he talks about steve steve stevens it's, a plethora from, of minutia. Right? it's just so much stuff you got to let this roll. You're going to learn something. At the end, we want to know what was the favorite part of this interview with Mitch Weissman. Get the popcorn. Get the popcorn. Pay attention. We'll see you at the end.
3: Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We
1: appreciate your support.
0: Hey, Three Sides of the Coin. You know, I don't know why it took us this long to get around to having Mitch Weissman join us on the podcast. Uh, but, Mitch, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. And uh, let's see where the
2: stories go. That's great. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Really, a lot of fun.
0: So, of fun. so. You know, I, we we don't we don't assume that all of our listeners are diehard fans and know every bit of minutiae of history, because, frankly, we know that we've got a lot of younger fans that, you know, discovered the band five years ago, 10 years ago. And, you know, unlike us knuckleheads who have been there since the early 70s, they're learning, they're learning about Kiss's history. So why don't you tell you know tell us who's mitch weissman in kiss's history how did you get introduced and connected to kiss and let's let's keep timeline as part of this so like definitely years and all that sort of stuff so fans can get an idea of when you came into the picture and then we're going to expand upon all the various things you did that quote touched the band throughout the years.
2: well the um Thanks. The beginning to this whole thing was that in 1976 I was rehearsing for what became the show Beatlemania in New York at SIR Studios, where SIR was a two-studio room on 54th Street, right above, actually, adjacent to Studio 54. Uh, they have been there for years. I used to go in high school to see showcases of Pepe Castro's band, Wiggy Bits. Uh, I was there when Johnny Winter was showcasing, or was it, Edgar Winter? showcasing for his record deal. And it had Rick Derringer in the band and Johnny. And it was, it was great as a high school kid being snuck in there to, to watch this. It was fantastic. But SIR became a home to us to rehearse in, 19, in June of 1976. We had to answer audition calls and we got into the studio at SIR and we were rehearsing every day in Studio A. We had a lockout. And so bands would come through. Um, Roberta Flack came in to listen. They'd all come in and sit down on stools and we'd have to sing Beatles songs. Um, and one day we are, uh, I wasn't reading the board, the ski who was rehearsing in the other room, but uh, one day the door opens up and in comes Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Um, and of course, this is a heavy makeup day, so I'm not quite sure who they are. So but they but
0: uh, obviously, you were
2: aware of Kiss. You of knew course, of was very Kiss. aware. Yeah. Well, I grew up on Island and I played in a lot of club bands and a lot of my my. Club band members, their little brothers, were hugely into Kiss. I saw every album. I knew every album. I knew the songs, obviously, um, um, from the radio and stuff, but I never met them. So um, they came walking in, and they said they were Gene and Paul, and I said, I would recognize you. from Why? I don't know, but I did. And um, they said, play us some songs. So we're playing, we're playing every song. They had the set list in front of them, or our rehearsal list. Like a hundred song, a hundred Beatles song. Play this, play this, play this. And they're sitting there listening rapidly, having a great time. And the funny part about this is that they are, they were in the next room rehearsing for their tour, I guess, in the fall of either the fall of 76 or the, or later on in uh, 77 or 77. But they are in the next room and they came in to watch us rehearse and for the four hours we were there, they kept having us do all these songs. Um the funny part was that every once in a while, the door would open in the back, and Peter would come running in, and uh, I remembered a blue Adidas, like, tracksuit, and jogging into the room saying, are we rehearsing? Are we going yet? And then Paul and Gene would go, nope, not yet, Peter. And the next time he'd come in, the other one would go, no, not now, Peter. And the third time he came into the room, all six of us, the Beatles, Paul and Gene, went, no, Peter, not now. So And we just, and it was really funny. I, I spoke to Big John Hart, God bless him last year and he told me the thing with the jogging suit was and i i hate to say it he would look like he was exercising but he'd really be going into the bathroom and doing whatever you do to make yourself sweat <laughs> so, so, so like, I, after all these years i wonder i said is he working out he goes no that wasn't working out. that was his that was his escape costume so um we we kept rehearsing all these songs and at the end of the end of the four hours they went like uh can you do any more and we're going gonna let, Sure, I had like no voices, no nothing left. We just put it all out there for them. Before
0: well, what did they saying. think? You were like a Beatles jukebox just there for them yeah, to play well, with?
2: Yeah, because the more we knew, the more we played, the more... They, and we knew this stuff. Because we were, we were rehearsing for six months for this show to open. And they kept changing the playlist and changing this. And they kept changing from the visuals that it became of uh, you know how the Beatles affected America and how America affected the Beatles and the world events. Uh, the original show had so much Beatle footage. And the lawyers went. You can't do that because it'll probably, it'll probably get stopped. So um, they changed it into the multimedia show that it became. But Paul and Gene they put us through the paces. So the next day they come and uh, somebody comes into our series and says, "They boys want to play for you." So uh, so I thought, okay, great. So we go in. I can't remember the song they started with, and that's the only song they got got to for a few minutes. They started with Detroit Rock City, I think. And in the process of playing the song, Ace's head starts smoking, and I'm going, "Is this part of the show?" I know the guitar lights up at some point, but I mean, it smokes up at some point. But no, his Ace, his Ace's Marshall head starts burning, and Gene pops a bass string. And I remember John Hart coming to me and saying, "Like, come on, you got got to leave the room now. That's it. Got to go." <laughs> so because <laughs> pe- pe- and people get, were going to get angry at that point. Yeah, they were starting to get real. there, they, you could see the the tension and everything is blown up. So. Later on, about I, there used to be a place in uh, New York called Ashley's. It was down by the Lone Star Cafe, Fifth Avenue, maybe Thirteenth Street or Twelfth Street. Um, it was a club, a nightclub that had a disco upstairs, but a nice little restaurant bar and downstairs. And I used to go there a lot. And uh, one night, I'm sitting at a table. This is about a week after that whole fiasco went down, and the the gear blows up. Um, they uh, a girl comes up to me and says, "Hi, Mitch Weisman." I go, "Yes, I'm Lydia Chris." I'm going, oh, hi, nice to meet you. He said, I just got to tell you, the boys were so upset that their gear blew up. Peter came home and said, the Gina Paul were just furious uh, that the gear had stopped because, in their minds, they were playing for the Beatles. You guys played for them for four hours a day before, and they wanted to reciprocate being the huge fans that they were. And Peter said that everybody was just miserable. I said, well, thank you. And Paul confirmed that story to me years later. um, That, yeah, they were just, they were so depressed about it. But that's how far I go back with them to '76, and we did go see them at the Garden, and um, and then you know we were touring on Broadway. and They went off; they were they were kissed. They went and did whatever. But that was how we we first met.
0: So um, so how does that then segue transition to into yeah. you actually working working with them with them?
2: Well, I was friends with all the same people that. They were friends with Pepe Castro, as I said before, a lot of the people at Libra Krebs, other artists. Um, but the way it came about was Pepe Castro. Um, he had a townhouse in mid, mid Manhattan, Not the whole townhouse, but he had the top floors and up to the roof. So every year he would throw a rooftop park because it's 4th of July. And I can't remember the specific year, it was either 81 or 82, that at the party, there's Paul Stanley. And so he said hello and asked, you know, I, Asked how everything was doing and remembered the rehearsals and all that stuff. And we hung out and we spoke on that rooftop literally for like two, three hours about all kinds of things, bands, you know, music in general, what are you up to, all those things. And so he said, he gave me his phone number. He said, here, call me. Now this is the amazing part. I'm not that starstruck, but I've always been, I've always, and he was, Uh, No offense to to him, but he was was in Kiss, and that wasn't my favorite band, but he was a nice guy, and he was Pepe's friend. And I took his phone number, and I woke up the next morning, and just like a stupid kid anywhere else, I just went, I can't call this number. My wife looks at me and goes like, what do you mean you can't call this number? She says, I said, it's it's Paul Stanley. I can't call Paul Stanley. I mean, I was still new to the business and and that sort of stuff. People give me their numbers over the years, and a few of them I never called. but uh, because they, I didn't equate myself as being equals to them, even as, I guess, subconsciously, even as people, who knows what. But, I mean, I grew out of that. But uh, he, a year goes by, and the next 4th of July, there's the party pep at Pepe's out, the rooftop. And we go up, and I guess he, he comes over, and he sees him. He says, how come you never called me? I said, because I woke up the next morning and went, that was Paul Stanley. I can't call Paul Stanley. And he punches, he punches me in the shoulder and says, don't you ever do that again. And then we started, we started hanging out on a, in a, on a almost a daily basis between him and Gene and I and everybody in the office, and Marks from probably 82 to 83. I mean, I, I tried to write stuff for them and things like that uh, with them several times, even during uh, creatures, the songs never made it. Um, and then somewhere around animalized I and mean, we're going to be socialized and paul said it in a, in a circus magazine interview i think or maybe one of the rock magazines he said to me well you know we wrote with we we've written with Mitch for a few years now and we're friends he said and that usually doesn't work out very well can you tell your friend that you're not using the song there goes the friend and my philosophy was always like well we're friends and you're not using the material fine i mean where do you want to go to eat something like that so they were doing. They were doing animalized.
0: Well, can and, can can we? Can, yeah, let's, let's back up one second. Yeah. Um, because you worked with Gene on his solo album.
2: Right. Well, now that that's right. Let's go back to that. That's, so we're let, in LA Let's and, go
0: back to that before we jump into yeah, all the so stuff far. in the '80s.
2: I, I left Gene out. I mean, how can you? How can you do that? Oh God! Yeah, uh, we'd hear all yeah.
0: about it from Gene.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> writing me out yeah. of
0: history here
2: exactly well i sometimes i feel the same way with them but, <laughs> uh, but uh, right me had history so he very funny and we're in la doing beatlemania and we're about to move to chicago and there's probably about a one week one week holdover and we're still finalizing our houses or our apartments and stuff in la uh getting ready to go and i get a call from carol ross at the press office um and she says to me that gene is recording a solo album he's at cherokee studios which is, is literally blocks away from where I was living. Um, and he said he, he'd he like to see if you and Joe Pecorino would want to sing on this record. I'm going, uh, sure. I mean, you know, I'm, I'd be thrilled. So we set up the studio dates and Joey and I went down there. And this was a really crazy time there too because there's, I come walking in to do whatever we're doing. We didn't even know what we are singing, what we were going to sing at all. And uh, there is Rick Nielsen playing ping pong with his guitar picks with joe perry and of course of <laughs> course you can't you can't play ping pong with guitar picks and, and, and rick says mitch get over the table i have met him some at some point during my career as well so we're playing ping pong i have some of his picks somewhere in storage who knows what and then janice Ian is finishing up in the iso booth her vocal parts for that record um and Joe and I said hello. And then Eric Troyer was there who was singing backgrounds. So it was me, Joey and Eric and Gene going to sing backgrounds on um, Mr. Make-Believe, Always Near You, Nowhere to Hide. And uh, my my favorite, uh, See You Tonight. So we're it, it's a crazy day with all those people being there. And right? we get into the, Gene sits us down. We, we took some, some pictures with him holding masks in front of his face and stuff like that. Um, he sits down and he shows us the songs and he says, I need some harmonies here. And so, so, I mean, I pretty much arranged the, the harmonies um, and there's some pictures on my Facebook page somewhere of us in the studio singing uh, you don't see Jean's face, but we're, we're in there. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. We did like two days, two, three days, I think of vocals um, at one point, I think Jean and I ended up doing the vocals instead of Eric and, and Joe, uh on one of the tracks you'll probably see it tonight it's just incidental beatles esque sort of harmonies that are in there and of course as you know the apocryphal story is he wanted paul paul and john to sing on the record but their schedules didn't allow it so as he put it i got the next best thing which was a nice huge compliment
0: now now you know i you you may not have been privy to this sort of detail but is the reality their schedules didn't allow it or is it more realistic that it's Paul and John from the Beatles and they're not going to go sing on Gene Simmons from
2: Kiss? You know, it's funny. I wasn't privy to it. I never asked. I didn't even know that Gene had said that during the years we were knowing him. It's in some of the article I read later on. Where made it. I'm sure that's a great press line um, because who knows if they ever got in touch with him. We'd, you'd have to ask Paul, did you ever get a the Gene Simmons ever? I'm sure Gene Simmons. Gene is Gene. If he wants to talk to somebody, he will find a way to get to them. Right. So I, I have a feeling between scheduling, between no thank you, it probably that's probably the way it went down. He, but he did get us, and that was a fantastic thing um, for us to do. Uh, it's very funny, these things things that happened at the time. Joe Pecorino's girlfriend at the time was uh, – um, God, I forgot her name, but he's got from Hotsi Tati from Welcome Back, Hotter. Oh, so okay. she was in the studio. Yeah. She was with us in the studio and she went wandering into the other room and she comes and grabs me. I don't know where Joe is. She says, you got to come to the next room. It's George Martin, Jeff, I and he's recording America. So to <laughs> me, George Martin was, Oh my God, it's the guy who did the Beatles. So mm-hmm. I went in there and, and said to him, thank you. Thank you so much for recording those albums. I just wanted to shake your hand. And he says to me, don't thank me, Mitch. Thank that guy. And he pointed to Jeff member, who was at the table. Um, the engine, their engineer. And actually, Jeff and I laughed about that years later, a few years before he passed away. But uh, yeah, so he, they were in there doing that. Gene wanted us to have some money bag T-shirts. So he asked Cher to bring them to the studio, but she had the flu. So I'll never forget, the limo pulls up front. We get to call the cheese out front. I went out to get the T-shirts. The, the window goes down, a hand reaches out, hands T-shirts, and then the window goes back up, and she tries back on. <laughs> I,
0: I, I just think that's so that's, funny that 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 back in the mid seventies, Gene is passing out his money bag swag like he does today. Still,
2: today, exactly. And not <laughs> then. It was. It was. It's. It's crazy. So I. I don't think I ever, I think I got a hat and I got a t shirt, but I don't know, I'm sure they're gone by now. I don't, wouldn't know where to look. But that was great. And I started my relationship with Cher because we, we talked about that years later. The years later, we're going to jump around a bit because my brain's going to go that way. And sure. in the 80s or early 90s, early 90s, when she was doing Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean on Broadway, she was staying at Gene's apartment. Um, and Gene was out on the road. So Gene called me and said, Can you be her wake up call? So I used to call her and wake <laughs> her up in the morning, in the after, uh, early afternoon. How do you put show? that on your resume? I she uh, Yeah, yeah. We used to wake up, share, shares a, wake a up bro. call for one year. <laughs> <her>. yeah, <laughs> she, yeah, For one, yeah. So she, it was really funny because she, we still, again, that's somebody I never met for years until she was going out and Rob Camilletti, and one night at the China Club, he says, "You guys finally have to meet." So we finally met face to face. But she was always the voice on the phone to me. Um. I was watching something else that Gene did with Howie Mandel the other day, about, this, about the this relationship between Gene and Cher, and then how her friend Diana took her, took him away. And one day, I'm at his apartment. I used to have the keys to his apartment. And I should that's where I'd go record in his room, and I'd just hang out and watch TV. He'd be on the road, and I had the keys to the apartment. Say hi to Donna Summer in the elevator, um, but I was there, and I never forget. He had his big, big uh, phone book there. And I remember getting a call from um, Cher's sister saying Cher needs Diana's phone number in the colony. And I'm going, I don't think I can give it out. Cher picks up the phone and says, give me the goddamn phone number. I introduced the two of them. So I'm handing out Diana Ross's Malibu phone number. I mean, if I was a sneaky guy, if I was, a, as they say, Fred Seaman and John Lennon, I would have copied everything that I saw in that house. But exactly. I, I, I wasn't that guy. <laughs> I wasn't that guy. <laughs> Uh, it's a, it was, it was, it was a fun relationship. The two of us, the three of us, Paul and Jean, I mean, at Glickman Marks, I used to wonder how the, they didn't share a lot of friends. They just did a lot their lives were different compartments. but the three of us would go out. I'd spend time with Jean. I'd spend time with Paul. Um, I was like the man in the middle. And it was really great. It was a great relationship for all three of us. It was, well, it was, was
0: because you got to experience that rare thing of being friends with both of them. Was there jealousy between the two of them of like, uh-oh, Mitch is paying more attention to Paul. Oh, <laughs> Mitch, stop hanging out with Gene so much. I mean, were you ever it, in that situation?
2: It didn't I, It didn't feel like it, except there was only one time that uh, I can remember that there. Paul hadn't told Gene he was going to do um, what's the rock opera he did in? Oh, in, Phantom? Uh, Phantom. Phantom. Yeah, he didn't fan- tell me he was gonna do that. So we were doing uh, we were hanging out one day, and I guess I'd made the mistake of telling Gene that Paul was gonna be doing Phantom. Um, and Gene said something to him and Paul said to me, Can you do me a favor, can you just not tell him when I tell you you <laughs> say I said, Well you should tell me not tell him these things. Yeah, because certain he, certain yeah, things that are privy yeah, you need Exactly. To- <laughs> I mean you're you're forgetting that I have a friend with both both of you. Right. Um, so Jackie, sweetheart, sorry guys. That's okay. <laughs> my, wife is, my wife is playing, playing uh, the flute in the background. So <laughs> if it comes on, we'll have musical, musical and flute. So. Yeah, it was. It was really so. That was funny. He said, "Just don't tell him when I tell you these sort of things." And then, and Gene would wouldn't. He would never pry. He would just come up in conversations. And then it became point of the point where I told them both. I said, "I'm not telling you." we were all out to dinner, I said, "Okay, here's the deal. I'm not telling you, and don't ask me. And I'm not telling you, and don't ask me." So, but it was, and it, we were just all laughing about it. But obviously, there was some separation there. Yeah. But I was the guy that was in the middle of, with all of them for socializing for a lot of lot of time and then the writing when the animalizing hit like you talked about I, I, had, I when that finally happened I remember getting the call oh the calls on the call that used to amaze them was they were working on creatures and they are in LA in the studio and they called me on speakerphone and all the guys are there and uh, Paul says I hate to tell you, but we're not going to use any of the stuff that we, you contributed to the project and my reaction he said was bummer So when you come back on Tuesday, where are we going to dinner? And they all went, did you hear what we just said? We're not using your material. I said, yeah. But where are we eating? Because that was my separation in my mind. We were friends first. And he said, and that's when Paul said in that interview, most people, would that ends the friendship. So I I made a lot of friends over the years by not getting gigs. Ian McDonald from Foreigner was putting together another band. And uh, I didn't get the gig, but he was my friend until the day he died. Um, so, and I, I, enjoy that part of. It, in some ways, I'm not that mercenary to try to get in to do something, uh, because I was my life was okay. I had made enough money and saved enough money for the show, and when the Kiss royalties came in, that was fine for a lot of years. So, um, I Mitch, real quick. People. Do you
0: think you can ask her to stop playing the flute because that is that, that that's kind of piercing coming out of I the know. background?
2: I got you. Hang on. Nope,
0: nope, no problem. We'll wait. Put the silencer on the flute.
3: We could do thick as a brick. (laughs) Right, Tommy? I got 37 minutes. (laughs) Is that how long it is?
2: She didn't realize. She didn't realize it. It carried that far. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> well, so let, I don't let, think let, we have to redo anything. Yeah. No. No no no, no. 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 Yeah. No.
0: No. No. We 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 could hear what you were saying. It was just yeah, I know the it's
2: piercing just, flute in the background. She was in the. She's she's got this flute. And she, I'm glad she's playing it, but <laughs> it was a little there. Let okay. let
0: let's talk a little bit more about what you were doing with creatures. So, were you? Did did was it Gene and or Paul that reached out to you to do some co-writing? Was it Michael James Jackson who who brought you in?
2: What what happened was because of our friendships, um, I mean, Paul and I started hanging out socially. I'll never forget. I mean, we went out. He had the two. He didn't have his apartment on uh, Madison Avenue yet. So we were still living on on like 52nd Street by the river. And we would meet Tom Snyder in the elevator. Tom Snyder would say hi to me. but he didn't recognize Paul. <laughs> his own, na- oh, his own, na- his own neighbor, and it, it's like you know, So I have to tell him who he was, you know. So a so, uh, uh, lot, yeah. We a lot of a lot of times, like, I mean they're still doing the makeup. I remember, hey, how are you? <laughs> Mitch,
3: did Did Tom get this? Did he understand when you like explained who he was?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, did he, he understand? So totally. he said, "Oh, hi, how are you?" I mean, well, he's Paul. Never saw him, but he knew he lived in the building. Uh, so, but there'd be a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of times where people would, would recognize me, but they wouldn't see, wouldn't know the guy standing next to me because they hadn't taken their makeup off yet. Yeah, and they,
0: they, 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 they right. only knew Paul because of makeup. They, they didn't yeah. know him without makeup.
2: Yeah, it was great. But I'll never forget. There was one time, though, He had, when he had the reconstructive stuff on his ear done. Uh, he flew me up to uh, Vermont where it was done just to be there. And then, then, and when it was all over, and he actually, I not when he, I wasn't there with the procedure, but it was came time to go home. He wanted to drive home because so we, we flew, he flew me up in a plane, stayed for a few days. His ear was bandaged. He goes, we get in the car, driving back down to New York. I'll never forget, Abacab came on by by Genesis, and it was the first time anybody heard that peddling stuff. And we pulled the car over to the side of the road. It was just a, just a revelation to hear that sort of music but we went in to get a gas station to get gas and he nobody's knows his face at this point in time and as he's going to the station the guy pumping the gas goes that guy's is somebody isn't he <laughs> it. because he just had the stature he he, he looked
0: policy. he looked like it he carried himself like it
2: he and sometimes he didn't but when he wanted to then people go who is that guy that's that's somebody you know so he knew how to play the play the quiet the quiet guys but i'll never forget the conversations he had with billy squire he would say to billy how could you be you on stage because for paul the persona was the star child and whatever he was doing um and if you know him mike as you know he's he can be quiet introspective and whatever it is Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe it's changed since his years with his therapist or whatever it was that was an interesting period of time too dealing with the two of them when they had those offices on sixth avenue um, we'll 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 we
0: we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that yeah. in the timeline.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So where where, where were we? At? We, 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 we,
0: we, we, we we were just talking about <laughs> oh, how you got brought into the creatures of right, the night. Right.
2: So what happened was it really I really wasn't that. I mean it it was in it, when I said when we met something like that. Paul and I would hang out. He actually gave me an entire Kiss collection of albums because I didn't have any. So he, he said, "Well, here." He gave me everything up to the nineteen you know eighty whatever it was. So eighty one or two so when did creatures come out 83 yeah, 82. 82, 82 82 82 okay so that's how that happened. so at some point they were talking about writing and paul knew i was a musician so I guess, why don't we try writing something so and I, and I have demos of this stuff somewhere um of the stuff that I, we tried to put together we use it was funny gene and eric gene and paul both used eric carr's drum tracks as drum drops to write songs to um because Gene took all the basic uh, old J- Eric's drum tracks from All Hell's Breaking Loose, all the stuff like that, and made had them on cassette tapes, and I used to put them into my porter Studio and write songs against the beats. And Paul and I would do the same thing, um, but none of the material made it. So it wasn't so for Creatures. I can't remember the specifically what the song might have been, um, but he. But they just didn't—they didn't use those tracks, and that's when they called me during the Creature Zone to say we're not using that stuff. And then when Animalize came, and the stuff I'd written with them, um, it was kind of interesting to them. They just went like it was almost like a conversation. What did you, what did you eat? What did you, what, what are you doing differently that these songs are now like working? I mean, if you—you hit—you hit something. I just obviously just hit my stride. And was able to co-write with them that way. I mean, "Get All You Can Take" has a, has about fourteen verses to it, um, like a Harry Chapin song. But they, but because I just kept writing, Paul and I went into SIR in New York. I played drums, he played guitar, or or, um, or vice versa, and we hashed out that song. Uh, but then he said, "Can you think about some lyrics and stuff?" So I wrote like like fourteen verses, which of course got pared down to. Two or three. What, what was um, it?
0: What was the difference like between writing with Paul and writing with Gene?
2: That's a good question because Paul was a little bit more introspective and quiet. Um, I don't think we ever wrote lyrics together. It was just kind of like talk about it and then we both start writing. Um, and occasionally we'd finish stuff up together and stuff like that couple of lines gene was more and we take our time doing it gene was more about what throw it against the wall and see what the hell sticks um he had a book i'm sure you've heard that he's got a book of titles anything that would make a great song title or weird content so he'd just write it down um it un, unreleased track of hours did we lose him okay no nope. the unreleased track of okay. ours. what what you see is what you get which i'm in the process of recording with it Bands from Buffalo, uh, via you know long distance. Um, that was because my wife came walking by and said, "Like uh, I got a title. What you see, what you get." And he wrote, wrote it down. And I, we ended up writing the song. Um, and it's uh, to this day, people say they should have done that song. But uh, it's uh, it was it was it really was. Let's and he would we'd flesh out lyrics, and we would throw lyrics. I'll never forget. And uh, we're sitting there doing. Um, murder in high heels was it murder in high heels the line that is uh you know she could she's a get rich bitch you get a better you better get her while the getting's good um that was me just scatting just like it just Mm -hmm. came out and gene said what what did you say i said i don't don't know i had to write it down um i think we started recording you know ran a cassette at the time we did this stuff so we didn't miss things um but that was the process yeah, because
0: yeah. what's what's interesting is you know, and we've we've had we've had we had Michael James Jackson, rest in peace. Um, yes, we yeah. had him on, and we've talked to other people who have worked with Gene and Paul, Adam and, Mitchell. and yeah, and Adam Mitchell, Adam, and yeah. The, right. And the general consensus is, when Paul writes, he writes and then brings into the studio only the best finished material that he has written. Where Gene, and that might be ten songs, and that's it. And those are the 10 songs that get used where Gene might, like you said, sort of throw it against the wall. And here's 30 songs that I'm bringing in. And that gets all pared down to, well, three of them get used.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. Well, the, the suffer animal is, I knew he was writing with John Beauvoir, but I never, I never saw John um, the uh, you know, the bass track, the bass track, the riff for um, murder in high heels is, is, I wrote it. When it came time to, re- to play the bass, because Gene was on the road, I played the riff wrong. But at the time the song was written, by the time, <laughs> so Jean Beauvoir had to come in and punch in the choruses with the correct bass line. And while I was recording it, Gene, Paul never said to me that you're not playing the right part. He just never <laughs> said it. And that's probably because he was dealing with his niece, and and the parents were in the control room. And he actually, I play rhythm guitar on Animalize, too. And amazingly, Paul gave me a huge compliment. He said, "You I consider myself one of the best rhythm guitar players out there, but I'm leaving your parts on the record." So I'm going, "Wow, thank you." So yeah, so I'm on those albums uncredited. Well, so,
0: Mitch, you know, it, now looking back, and we know history, but at yes. the time, you know, timeline when Animalize yeah. came out, we didn't know this. But that was sort of the start of the split between Gene and Paul. Where Gene, yeah. I mean, the, you were there when Gene decided to go Hollywood. He was more concerned about movies and less concerned about Kiss and and starting with Animal Eyes. That's kind of when Kiss became Paul's baby.
2: Yeah, Paul, it was. Paul
0: became the producer. It was you know
2: Paul was in charge. Oh, he went off. Everything. He went off to do Run. He went off to do Runaway. Yeah, um, and so, when, after so, he done. Well, yeah. What
0: what so related to that though is you are in the midst of this. Yeah. Are yeah. you seeing this? Were you sensing it? Were you going, wait, what where where where's Gene? Why isn't he as heavily involved as Paul is? Is this Paul,
1: Paul you know was,
2: Paul was very diplomatic about his absence. Um I mean, once all the basic tracks were done, then he went off to go do runaway. Um and then he uh paul would mention something about him going off to do some tv stuff and of course they had conversations about you're not supposed to be doing outside projects and so gene did you ever see the the did you ever see the uh the what do they call it the pilot series that he was supposed to do or this comedy series you ever see those tapes i mean he showed me in his house uh betamax the comedy he was supposed to be doing like for first sitcom which obviously never got picked up and of course if that had happened it would have changed the entire thing of the band but he showed me, you know, he showed me. His, he read to me his dialogue for the opening scene as Luther in uh, in Runaway, and he's he screwed it up. He's, he goes he supposed to go coffee black, and he turns to me and he looks at me and goes like, "Coffee, please," because <laughs> he's a nice guy. He's not a he's not a villain. So, but he 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 told me he was doing those things. Paul was saying he was. I wish he wasn't doing those things. But he. But when it came to him time for, to do animalize and then he wasn't there to record the rest of because of the movie commitment, Paul never bitched about it at all. He just said, we're going to finish up the tracks. And they did. And I was there just to see what was going on. I was at Right Track like almost daily. I mean, I, I, um, my life was pretty secure. I could go down there and hang out with my friends. I'll never forget the engineers always ask the people in the lobby saying to me, why are you here every day? And it's like a musical cue get all you can take is blasting from the control room and they'd look at me and i, and I go well i wrote that song and in those days i was still doing my beetle shows and had the beetle hair and it was the 80s so i had leg warmers and tights or whatever the hell it was <laughs> i still had the body for that but they look at me and go this is this is the you're a beetle guy and you wrote that and that actually helped my career for people to hear me writing songs like that because they all thought I was you were a just Beatle. a
0: one-trick pony, they thought. Yeah,
2: exactly. And a lot of that was created in New York because the guys that left the show, except for Marshall Crenshaw, um, when they would pitch for Beatles for record albums, their deals were they were sounded like Beatle albums. They were that's who they were. Um and that's nothing wrong with liking that music, but if you're gonna be the guy that played that guy and then your original stuff is gonna be that guy, um it's I remember speaking to the company president, I say, I have a demo. They go, oh, I know what you sound like. Because I look like this guy. Right. So, so you're a typecast. I, I, a type, and I, I knew that And I knew that right from the beginning. I don't know what made me realize it, but I said to my then wife at the time, this is not, you don't start out at 22 or 23 on Broadway. So right. it was a cheaper time and the pay was really good. So I saved all my money. And at the time when the show opened, yeah, that typecasting, I lived for two years in New York without making a dime. Because I was typecast, pigeonholed, you know, I ended up doing a lot of English voiceovers for commercials and stuff like that. Again, I'm not English, but okay, I'll I'll do it. It was it was fun. Yeah, um, I mean, do you know, when 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 when, 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 when when how do you break out of that? The kiss. The, I'll yeah. tell you, the kiss, the kiss stuff helped. It was a huge breakout when people knew that this guy with that face can write this sort of stuff. Holy crap! Now, I didn't really capitalize on it. I had a marriage that was kind of. Eight years in, Tempestuous at the end. She was kind of needy. I think it was manipulation. Years, years later, you realize there's manipulation to keep me there. I, was, got a, I get a call from John Bon Jovi and Paul and, uh, and what do you call it, Richard Sambora. And I'm going, I got them both on a conference call at my house. And they say, Paul Stanley says we should write with you. And at the time, the royalties were coming in from, from the Kiss Records. Uh, I was trying to work on that marriage and try to save it, and I wasn't taking any work. And they understood totally. The next thing that happens is slippery when wet. Desmond becomes God. I'll, ne- I'll never forget. We were such friends, close friends with Desmond when we, when he was with Maria and Rouge, Desmond Child and Rouge. Um, we, uh, I'll never forget when they got their animalized, gold and, and platinum gold albums. I. I went with Paul to pick them up, and and Desmond dropped us off at my apartment with all four of their albums, and I took them upstairs and held them there until until I could bring them over to to the offices. Somehow they got presented to them, and I had to to take them home. So it was really kind of strange. But there was a lot of stuff going on back then. But I I said to them, no, I can't do it. And, of course, one of my my sisters said to me, don't you feel stupid for not like actually? My ex wife actually did say to me, I guess I, you should have just went worked on that record. I <laughs> said, I just know nothing, nothing, there's no, yeah, guarantee but, but, but you know, I would have gotten on it. It's easy yeah, to say yeah,
0: that yeah, with hindsight, yeah. but at the time,
2: I just laugh. at, I, I at, laughed. I laughed about it.
0: Yeah. At yeah. the time, people would be like, oh, who's Bon Jovi?
2: Well, they, they were totally, yeah, exactly. But at the time, they, but I, I I definitely understood the fact that actually Paul said, I get, I get it. I stood but it's a big And it would have been, but I was concerned with the marriage at the end it didn't work out. And the, the, they launched it to billions of billion sales. And, uh, and I, and I laugh. I just go like, you know, some of my sisters, which I don't understand why you're like not very depressed or like kill yourself or something. I said, you know, what, there, it's a long life. And until the day I leave or go to heaven or hell, that's when the day I'll go you fucking idiot or it didn't really matter. So the thing is you do what you do and you just try to stay right. alive and go on further. You make the best have, decision have, you can at the time. Yeah. Exactly. I have so, no
0: So so let, no uh, going going back to animalize was was Paul trying to keep Gene involved or had he basically accepted the fact Gene's checked out doing movies and TV and this is all on me meaning
2: I don't all... think he'd accepted the fact that I I think, well, didn't Michael James Jackson leave?
0: Well, that, that I, want, I he... wanted to ask you about yeah. that as well. Michael James yeah. Jackson had some initial minor involvement with animal eyes. I mean, yes, he did. Yeah. So I was going to ask you if you were there, did you see him? Were you aware of what he might've been doing there?
2: Yeah. I mean, what was funny was I think, I mean, didn't, did he work on also creatures? He
0: did create, yeah. he produced creatures. He produced yes, he got lick great it up.
2: sounds for them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Lick it up. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And and, and, I, and, and I
0: think, you know, the story goes, he was supposed to do animalize, but yeah. and I depending on the stories you he hear, his schedule got busy. Yeah. He couldn't do it. Or he realized, kiss, yeah. kiss, realized somebody realized they didn't need him, but he did have something to do I with some of the gone sounds as far as he
2: could with. Yeah, he was he was involved with the sounds, but I think Paul and Gene learned a lot from him, and the production crew and stuff that learned a lot from him when they were doing those earlier albums. To the time when we were when I was at Right Track in the studio, like I said, visiting almost daily, uh, he was there. He was and he was there in the beginning and then he was not there. And I didn't realize what had gone on, I don't know whether he had a scheduling problem or not. I don't know. Paul was pretty much totally in control at the helm. Um, and by the time I probably went off and started touring and didn't see the end stuff, so he was gone by then. And then I heard about the stories later on. I thought he was the, the producer of the record, um, but no, he was he was gone at a certain point. What what
0: and what I, do you remember about Mark Saint John, the short-lived guitarist they had for that one album?
2: That was that was interesting because I met him, I, I you know, and um, and hung with him. Um, and I met Vinny before he joined the band also, but the thing is, that was very funny. Uh, gee, the Beatle freak that he was, every time we got involved with somebody, but I'll, I'll go back to Vinny later. But Mark St. John was in the studio where it's, uh, what was the Hit Factory? I don't remember where we were. That's the time, the same sessions when his parents were up there with his niece and he was out of the control room for a few days just dealing with that. We were recording without him, um, with Paul. So... There is. I get introduced to um, to Mark, and Mark is. This is the days of the Rockman and the other stuff, and Mark can really play solos like crazy and all over the place. I didn't know who he wasn't sort of nice guy. The funny thing is, when we were working on songs in the studio and I'm playing really with guitar tracks, he would just look at me and go like, "How do you do that? I'm like, what do you mean?" He said, "How do you write a song and also play so steady like that?" Because he was uh he was a he was the freeform guitar player he was
0: the shredder he, at the time he that's, was that, the that's what the was happening
2: they, yeah and they needed him and he shred but you know the solo on get all you can take is actually paul stanley and mark um mark played a solo for it it didn't really he paul would be singing him the stuff to play and eventually i what i heard happened was that after he, that session ended Paul picked up the guitar and played other parts and they, and they comped the solo much like, you know, people say Jeff Beck solos are great, but he, as Jeff says, I play about seven of them. Whatever comes out is great. And then I put together the pieces and make (laughs) that becomes the solo Um, because I never play anything twice. Right. So the same with Mark, he couldn't play, he couldn't play the solo. And then they kept trying to track this solo, at least on that song. Um, and then uh, it, was, uh, it was a heap. So Paul just played the solo and comped the pieces, little pieces and stuff like that, played sections the section, then took parts and marked parts of him, and that's the guitar solo on there. And about that time, I started to hear rumors of the fact that his hands weren't working right. Um, so we're at Right Track, and Paul comes out into the lobby. And I'm talking to the girls and stuff like that. And he hands me the Queen's phone book, and he throws it on the table. It says, find Bruce Kulick." Um, I'm going, what? He says, yeah, here's the phone book. He lives in Queens. There shouldn't be a lot of Kuliks, and there weren't, thank God. Um, uh, they couldn't get a hold of uh, Bob to find Bruce's phone number. And, of course, they all knew each other, but the, he didn't have the phone number. So I start through the phone book, and I'm calling Kuliks, and I get a couple of answering machines, and I get a couple of people saying, no, nope, wrong house. And I get this one answering machine. I leave a message saying, you know, hi, it's... The twice when I'm calling for Paul Stanley Bruce if you're there can you call us call him back at and the phone picks up this is a time where Bruce was going through an introspective time and ha- actually staying at his parents house I think he was getting divorced from his first wife um, and so he was just staying there and he picked up the phone as he said it in the publication said well I knew Mitch and I liked that guy and even though I didn't want to talk to anybody I picked pick up the phone and that's how he that's how we got we found him Wow. Yeah I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, no, that's so, pretty amazing. And so Bruce so how it.
0: much, you know, how much did they bring Bruce in to do then? That you were around and, and Yeah, that's
2: and funny were. because by the time that I guess at that time after I found him for him, I never was there when he was recording. So I did so I know what he's on and what he's not on, but I never there to see any of it. I must have gone off on my beatling around the world or who knows what I was doing. This was no longer beatlemania time with me anymore. This was me um Doing shows around the world as that guy from, or the cast from, or whatever, and it was quite lucrative for a lot of years. Um, not, not like the Broadway money, but it was fine. And then when the Kiss for came in, I was that's basically what I kind of did was I work on certain projects and then go off and do live Beatle shows and stuff, uh, and then try to work on my own stuff. Which I just, I have a thing in my brain that says if you're not going to use it, I don't, I don't get frustrated. I just, I just stop writing stuff. Um, but I did demos and stuff with other people for other projects and stuff. So, uh, but no, I never saw Bruce record. I got him in, in theory, but uh, I never saw him recording it.
0: Were, were you um, surprised to see Bruce going out and touring with Kiss then and then becoming the full-time member basically and everything that, no, and everything that happened with Mark and. Well,
2: I knew, I know, I think I spoke to Gene from England. I mean, there were the problems were rearing its head um, from certain shows in rehearsals so Bruce was groomed to go out there you know he tells the famous story they looked at him and said don't cut your hair um, because they had an idea that this was not gonna work uh with with mark and his his problems were just too too far gone so and I've heard stories about mark being bitter about it or whatever it is but you know you really you you can't be really I mean you can uh, and he was but his his hands weren't working right you can't do the job it's it's up you. can't
0: expect KISS to stop yeah. a whole world tour because you right. can't play.
2: Yeah, you've you've heard the stories and I've seen i some videos somewhere of you know the when they all were on stage together at one of the shows. Yeah. Mark did like the first half, then Bruce did the bottom half, the left half. But then but uh, I mean Bruce and I have talked about it a little bit, but not that we're still in contact all the time, but we haven't talked. I never never I never really sat down and talked with him about his Kiss rate. Except that the book that we that we were in Greg, Greg Prado's book. That's great. I'm kind of, I got to see everybody's correlations at that time.
0: Yeah. So, so between creatures, lick it up, animalize, and you were you were there as friends with Gene and Paul through all that. That right. was a pretty significant era for Kiss. A lot of changes happened with creatures being no Ace, no Peter, Vinny coming in at the last minute, lick it up, the makeup's coming off, but then the tensions mounting with Vinny and then him being kicked out, then Mark coming in and then Mark's playing problems and Bruce coming in. I mean, I remember just as a fan, it's almost like every new issue of Kerrang!,
2: had, had a new
0: change in Kiss going on. Yeah. Like, holy crap. When is this band going to settle down? What, what, what do you, did you feel all of that? Did you sense all of that through all those albums in that time? Somehow,
2: somehow I miss all the tension parts, probably because I was a friend and not privy to all of the different stuff. I'll do. I do remember all the high points. And stuff. I remember when Mark was in there and everything was going smoothly Um just really happy to be in the band, trying to play and so but obviously things were there was a there was a consistency issue. That's why I said when Paul did that solo, because Mark couldn't be consistent. Now I never saw any shows with him. I never I went to some rehearsals, but I never but they never did like the song like three times in a row to hear that he was playing differently every single time. Um, to go back to Vinny, I was there when Vinny first came to New York. Gene put him up in a hotel. Well, so over. yeah, let
0: let let's yeah. let's talk about Vinny. I mean, Vinny, uh, you
2: know, Vinny comes to New York and um and uh, and he's put up at this hotel on Lexington Avenue. Um, and I knew where it was. And Gene says, "Come over and meet Vinny," because uh, he's in room whatever. So I go over there, and there's Gene and there's Vinny. There's an acoustic guitar, and Gene hands him Gave the guitar and says, "Okay, start playing Beatles songs." <laughs> I'm like what? Because he many, he was a huge Beatles fan. Yeah, So I'm what, going. What, first what year I, was this, Mitch? Do you have a rough idea? It's got to what... be. Well, it's before they did Animalize, because they flew him in. So whatever year that would be. So, I so I mean,
0: Cree- Creatures of the Night came out in '82. Look right. it up was in
2: '83. Oh yeah, so '83. So it's got to be before Lick It Up. So in '83. Uh, that's when they called me the hotel. And then we'd have this great afternoon singing Beatles songs. And of course I said so. It's funny, people always hand me guitars and say play Beatles songs. I know the bass lines. <laughs> I don't know all the guitar parts. It's a new thing I gotta do is get a acoustic guitar and learn how to play all the songs. When I was a kid, I played all the songs on guitar. When I got pre- specialized as McCartney, I learned the bass lines, but I don't ask me to play <laughs> the guitar parts because I don't know what they are. So um so at a party, I'm not the guy to sing at to play the songs. If you can play them, I'll sing them. But it doesn't. So it was very funny. Then I, when I when I would see those those tapes of Paul, Gene, and Eric doing Beatles songs from from their tours and stuff like that, it always yeah. reminded me of that. Always reminded me of the three of us doing the same thing. But Vinny was great. I mean, he was he was nice. He was personable. He smiled all the time, and he was, we just did Beatles songs. That's the, I think that's the only time I met Vinny during that process. We talk now, um, but I didn't really know him back then. And then I, and the, and the tensions and stuff started with i didn't i wasn't talking with them that much on a regular basis either um because they were touring and i was doing what i was doing i remember paul gene and i would call each other he'd call at like four in the morning i'd answer the phone because because uh, i had a separate apartment across the hall of my my wife and i had two apartments then wife on a in a brownstone so at night i would go into the studio and screw around and and take the phone calls. Um, But I never, I heard about the tension. I heard Vinny, I heard Gene talking about Vinny being a problem. Um, But I never saw it firsthand. Um, And I read about it the same way you did.
0: Right, right. I mean, you know, and again, now looking back, we've got a full understanding and and picture of of how Vinny got involved, and then what happened on tour, and how it all ended. yeah i mean again that was an incredibly um chaotic period yeah. of time um, well
2: when they were doing i even know the elder stuff was interesting too because i knew them when they did fridays which is after the elder came out mm-hmm. and yep. a keyboard keyboard player gary rucker who i got for them gene said Do you have a keyboard you know somebody played keyboards i said yeah my friend gary he was a a guy involved with Beatlemania, and gary did great and um but I'll never forget when they were recording that album up at the Ace's studio, funneled some money into there, and Ezrin was back, and Gene would call me later at night saying, there's white powder all over the goddamn place. Um, so, And it was a very tough, it was a tough recording session. It was uh, for them. It was, it was, you know, they were trying to help out Ace. I think Ace had issues with the wife's family at the time. They didn't, they didn't want him to be in the band anymore um because i guess he was neglecting her or god knows what he was what he was doing it's a lot of personal crap that was going on but the thing is they they got through that album uh i didn't and I, that's the first time i ever heard gene talk about that sort of stuff um drugs involvement and stuff like that um
0: although let, let, let's be clear during the yeah. recording of the elder the white powder might not have been all aces it could have been bob no it was a lot of bob a lot of
2: bob's too that's (laughs) we we know that now in hindsight the powder on the console yeah because bob has not even admitted to it yeah exactly so uh it was screwing up the sessions um but i think they got a great album out of it i'll never forget i was at uh gene's apartment when lou reed came over because he had written you know that world without heroes with him and i'll never forget when i told gene i said you did it wrong you should have come back in with a chorus after the guitar solo again said or I don't know what you're after What is the bridge part and then go into a world without here he said you're right I, we screwed up the editing of that song <laughs> so a lot of stuff happened over the years a lot of a lot of consultation but after the fact but um...
0: now at, at at the same time in that same period they part ways with um, uh, Bill O'Coin.
2: yes the yeah long, I was,
0: I... their longtime standing manager who was basically a fifth member of the band. Were you around in those those? I was around. Moments?
2: I was around when they were still with Bill. I don't remember coming up to a Coin's office with Paul to get something, and there was Billy Idol and his band and Steve Stevens, Steve Stevens, and I go way back where he was my college roommate's kid brother, um, and wow. I, lent, I lent him my three thirty five to play his first YMCA YMHA gig out in Far Rockaway. His guitar broke, and Eric called me, his brother, and said, can Steve borrow your guitar? And I said, yeah. I'll never forget leaving the gig, and this little kid has got this big 335 on him, and he's playing the hell out of it. Steve used to come over to my garage when Eric and I would be driving to Pittsburgh to Carnegie Mellon, and he'd pick up my guitar, and he'd play Yes better than Steve Howe, and he knew it. He said that Steve Howe is really good, but he's really sloppy. (laughs) I grabbed the guitar out of his hand, and he said, get the hell out of my garage. You know but in that office on that day when i and billy was up there and she was there he's just keeps going do you have a band can i join your band i'm going no i don't have a band <laughs> yeah i mean because he wasn't sure what he wanted to do but he, he was always you know, a little bit enamored of me from back then but he says to me to this day that i showed him how to play Red, led zeppelin correctly and i'm <laughs> saying to myself i never didn't even play led zeppelin correctly but but he's, he 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 he's and he said I he also has said probably that I am the one who showed him vibrato. I was a huge fan of Paul Paul and that whole vibrato thing. And he said I learned it from Mitch Weisman. And then he turned me on to Paul Kossoff. So it was a lot of fun. But I told him said Steve, you got to say where the money is. I can't pay you. Say in this band, and it was the best advice I ever gave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that that, that yeah. band did pretty pretty well. Yeah, they did did pretty well. Yeah, exactly. So so. Work. So I was there. I was there with, with Bill. Yeah. And Paul had this party to watch the Oscars at his apartment. Uh, and everybody was there from Bruce McGill to this actress to that actress to so-and-so. And I'll never forget. It was right after Natalie Wood had passed away and Christopher Walken showed up. The room went silent for a second. And then it was like, hey, Chris, and it went back to normal. Bruce, um, when Paul, Bill was there, I remember getting there early. Actually, maybe the apartment, the party wasn't at Paul's apartment. It was at Bill's apartment. And when it, I guess a big TV at the end, we're all watching it. And Bill's Bill gives me a big hug and stuff like that. You know, and I'm, I I I have no problem with flamboyant people, um, and I'll hug it up with the best of them. <laughs> you know, it's just it's theater or whatever it is. And his boyfriend came over, and gave me a big kiss. I told you back then I was very cute, whatever. So uh, <laughs> I, I um, it was a lot of fun. The party was great, but I didn't sense any tensions. The next thing I know, he's not managing them, and I never I don't know why, but I never asked him why. I think they just said they outgrew him is what it was. And maybe there was the drug problems that way too. I know that, was, you know, you read more about it now. He was, I guess uh, he was losing it a little bit himself.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've, we've all, you know, and we'll, we'll never know because the 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 side of that story died with Bill. So right. we'll never yeah. really know his side of it, but yeah, I mean, we've heard Bill's drug problems, Bill, um you know kiss not wanting bill to focus on other bands like billy idol and you're, yeah, you're not paying exactly. attention to us and then and then obviously you've got the string of poorly received and not successful albums there from yes. unmasked to the elder to creatures of the night i mean as great as creatures of the night is you yeah. know it didn't go gold right away and the tour no. The tour was far from phenomenal.
2: So, their um, merchandising and it was still big. But the problem is that Gene told me once he said, well, we, Where we learned about merchandising and money is, we signed our first deals with Bill, and he got his percentage off the gross. So, whatever they sold merchandise and stuff like that, he got his cut. Then the taxes came out, and then the band got right? The cut. So, that was something that stuck with him for a long time. They learned the lesson. And it was great. He was great in some of that. It, it certainly taught Gene about percentages and money and what to do the next time. But uh, I remember that was something he mentioned to me. And not in an angry tone, just what about do, learning something about business.
0: What do you yeah. recall about Glickman Marks, either as people or as, as a management company? Because, again, looking back now, we know that, that when Glickman Marks was brought in around the Destroyer era, everything seemed to have changed in the band's world, meaning the old crew was let go. It became a real business operation. And as we know, Glickman Marks went on to manage Kiss through the 80s to the the mid to late 80s. What do you remember about them and their relationship with the band?
2: Well, you never really saw Marks that much. I saw Glickman, I mean, um, and Howard. Oh, no, actually, I saw Mark. I saw Howard all the time. I saw Howard all the time. And Glickman I met a couple of times. I would go I would go up to the office to say hi to everybody just because I was friends with them at that point. I mean, Chris Lent will tell you I, I would just come in and say, hey, Chris, you know, I, would, I was the guy. They were friend, but And it was kind of odd to them that this guy was actually saying hello to them because, uh, I mean, Paul and Gene never talked to everybody in the office, but nobody else really ever talked to anybody. Roseanne was there all the time. Um, she's the one who wondered why I was always hanging out with both of them, when they didn't have anybody they hung out with. And, uh, um, and and Carl, what do you call it? He, Howard actually was very good to me. When I was getting my royalties coming in and stuff like that, I didn't realize that royalties came in like twice a year. So I was planning out the budget and my stuff and I'd call up Howard and say, how much money is coming through at a certain, you know, like the next quarter. Because um, I'm just trying to plan my, my budget. So yeah, I have a check here for 30000 right now if you want it, yeah. So they were paying me. They were paying me as the money came in. If I happened to call and say... What's, what's, what's the schedule? Right. So That's I never the the knew that royalties right. don't, so come knew the don't come in all the time. They just more. come in whenever they come in. Come in. So, whenever they come in. That kind of spoiled so me for years later when you have to wait kind of every six, six months to get your check. Your, your but he was yeah, really I, I'm, great I'm to me. Hearing,
0: I'm hearing, yeah, I'm I'm, hearing I'm, through I'm, somebody. I'm
2: hearing somebody. I don't think it's me. Me, maybe? Tommy, is that you?
3: Tommy, is that you? Here, I can shut it off.
2: You may have to. Yeah. You may have to. Yeah. All right. Bef-
0: bef- before I throw something at the, the monitor, guy here, at and... the, the monitor
2: guy here. Uh-oh. <laughs> 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 All right. Whose laptop is on? Testing. <laughs>
0: that better? Testing. Yeah. There we yeah. go. There we, we go. Continue.
2: It? Yep. Thanks, Tommy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he, they were good that way and stuff. And, uh, and I, Howard was always nice. And then there was one time that what happened was... Animalize is coming out. The papers have not been signed. The guys were going to look remarks, they were gonna advance me some money on the album. Uh, and we were gonna do the publishing paperwork and stuff like that. Are we back? We just yeah. lose this picture. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. no,
0: no. Keep yeah. going, keep going. So
2: so there is a situation that occurs where they're trying to buy out Ace and Peter or one of them or both of them, and they were cash poor for a second. There were times when I would be taking them out to eat um, and using my cards, because they're, they're fronting everybody, all the, all the expenses everywhere, and their money is invested, like in Cleveland, or God knows where the hell it is, but they were, you know, even they had cash flow issues, so I would pay for dinner, who cares, and Gene always says, you know it was great about you when you said you invited me out to dinner, you actually paid the bill, you know how many people disappeared, Bad comedy, you know. Check comes and everybody runs from the table. He says, "You actually paid <laughs> the bill." I said, "Yeah, well, I said, yeah." I said, "I, I invited you to dinner without <laughs> so, you know." So and I, and I said, I laughed and he said, "It's your money. You, you paid me. It's my money." So no, it's your money. You earned it. This is your money. Stuff from royalties and stuff like that. But I'll never forget with with Howard. He was very cordial. He was nice. He would tell telling these things. At one point, when the album comes up um i and again i'm on a phone basis with all of them i can call anybody at the office if i wanted to and it wasn't just me going through paul paul saying i'll call for you or something like that or or, or gene so i had a relationship with that office and again i'm not an i'm not a i'm a friend of the band but obviously one that they'll, they'll talk to so the album is coming out i'm supposed to get an advance off the album and i'm supposed to sign the publishing papers and the way it was explained to me was they were one thing they weren't, but nobody ever said that to me. So when I heard they couldn't give me the advance, I went, well, then I guess I can't sign the papers. A whole war erupted behind my back That, because Howard Marks thought that I was holding them up. Um, and eventually, and and Gene says, your lawyer is a son of a bitch. I said, no, he's not. I said, there's got to be a misunderstanding here. So I went to my lawyer's office. We got their lawyer on the phone. and a three-way conversation. It turns out that the two Items are separate. The advance is one piece of paperwork and the publishing is the other. Um, and as soon as I heard that on the phone, I went, then you guys have been explaining this to me all wrong. Okay, fine. I don't get the advance. Where's, where do I sign? Publishing papers. And I'll never forget Howard Marsh called me the next day at home and said, you know, my friend John Eastman always used to say to me, when you have an issue, call the guy directly. And just about four or five months, I'm holding up the release of this record. It sold 1.7 million copies, and there's no publishing paper signed with me. Now, the other thing I did, which I can live with, is that in a conversation that Paul and I had off the record, before any of this happened, I said, what's the deal with the publishing? He says, well, when you work with us, your first stuff that you do with us, we get your publishing. You get your writer's share, but we get the publishing. Um, I went, okay. So even though I had them dead to rights to hold them up for fifty-fifty, um, I remembered the conversation and I said, Okay, just give me my give me my writer's portion. On the next album on 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 uh, whatever the next one I wrote was, those those one song right there, I made almost as much as the, the other songs because I had my publisher. Um but the business-wise, it was they were they were good to me, except that when the, I heard that they fired Howard. I know I heard Howard and they parted ways. I called Gene. I said to him, Man, I'm so sorry, you and Howard parted ways. He said, No, we didn't part ways. We fired his ass. Because if you know the story, he was leasing everything in the company back to them. All the expenses, everything was being charged back to them. Uh-huh. They did an internal audit and discovered that. They were paying all of their bills. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, so, so, and I don't want you to get into great personal detail on this, but this yeah. is also at the period where Jess Hilson starts coming into the picture.
2: Is, is that, that the psychologist? The psychologist, stri- psychologist oh, the who
0: eventually became Kiss's manager later yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. What do you recall about that? relationship. And again, I don't want you to get into I, I personal never met him. things.
2: I never met him, but I did go up to the offices, of Avenue offices. you know, Claire McCur- McCurry used to work there with, the, with them. She left to go with Billy Joel and has been very happy for many years. i heard stories that Paul Shrink running the operation or Paul, the manager running the operation didn't really improve anything at all. As a matter of fact, he was one of those people that Paul needed to confide in. I mean, it's funny. I've had people, I've had Psychologists and psychiatrists, at a certain points, I just check myself and see what's going on. I've had plenty, plenty of people who, you know, the, the funny thing is Woody Allen's had the same psychiatrist for how many years and he's still Woody Allen? You maybe you want to change your uh, psychiatrist. You know, uh, there's a lot of people who have the same therapist and they're just as screwed up as they used to be. Um, so, and that's, that's usually the joke is that the, when you say, so, doctor, what do you think? And the doctor says, I don't know, what do you think? And you don't want one of those doctors. You want to talk to you ask a question and he tells you, gives you an, an answer. answer. Yeah. I gives <laughs> you his considered opinion. That's what you're paying for. Don't ask me. So that was, he was that sort of guy. And I heard stories from the people up in the, up in that office. And I didn't know them that well, but I was up at those offices on the Sixth Avenue. But um, that's kind of about at that, but about that time when we were losing contact um, so yeah, so I can't tell you personally more about it, but I never heard great things about it, and I also didn't think, looking at what was going on, that they did the he did the right thing by them. And but basically, Paul was managing the band by that point. Gene was telling me that as well. Well, yeah. You know, so Gene, I mean,
0: as yeah. as as we come out of Animalize into Asylum right. and especially Crazy Nights, Gene yeah. is all but completely. <laughs> checked out from the band we know he doesn't really return in full committed force until revenge right. In, in, right. in the early 90s well there so was it, a point. It's, it's basically Paul Stanley's solo band using the name kiss
2: yeah and uh, the other thing that, that gene was upset to talk about go back to where gene was doing all these outside projects was supposed to, Paul finally reined him in he realized he was doing this and he said no more outside projects then Paul produces black and blue Oh, you mean um, Gene? Gene, no, uh, not Gene does Black blue. Who did Paul produce? Don't ever want to lose you. Whatever the hell, uh, Europe is that the name of the band? No, when no, band, no, that was
0: New yeah. England. That was New, New England, England, but that that was back. That was in the 70s. 79.
2: Yeah, but it's funny that Gene said, "I'm not supposed to do outside projects back then." And then Paul does New England without telling me. That's when Gene decided to start doing things without telling him. This is early eighties. Got it. Early eighties. Yeah. But then he started doing things where he wasn't didn't tell him, and it was conflicting with conflicting with the operators like the animalized recording okay i'm going to do a movie well who's going to finish the parts so they called me in for that one song and i played it wrong so uh and it's my own song it's insane but no they were they got outside people to play so i think who played bass on a few things too yep and paul i think played based on a couple of tracks i can't remember what
0: yeah i, I mean you know again gene was gone. For, the, for, for the most yeah. part gone i mean he would yeah. he would. You know, and I don't know this other than from what we've read and other people said. He'd yeah. be like, "Okay, you need Paul. You need songs for that album. Here's my twelve songs. I'll see you. Yeah. In six see months. you when I'm done. Exactly. You know, and yeah. and you got to make four of these songs work on the album because I get X amount of songs on the album, even though I'm not here. Oh, right. and and you know, I want co-producing credit and you know whatever. All the, I mean, it it was
3: that's got to be tough there was a lot There's of a
2: tension t- yeah there was a lot of tension i didn't see it between them although we, maybe some of it was because we stopped going out as a trio um, and that my friendship stayed solid with both of them but as i said that thing with with the uh, with um, with the show up in up in up in canada he um, phantom he had, you know there, there was a tension there and Paul what didn't, didn't yell at me, but it was clear. Please don't tell Gene what I'm doing. So they were going back and forth that way.
0: Well, I, I think, you know, that that's one of the things that's always been there in a sense in, in the Gene and Paul world, there's always been tension They're, they're, they're different people, but yeah. to their credit, you know, and we're, we're approaching 50 years. Yeah. They figured out for the most part how to make it work they understand the boundaries they understand they understand each other and they understand what they have to do together to make the business of kiss yeah work but outside of kiss they're not best friends
2: no no but i think they i think they have realized though, that they are friends you see the interviews and stuff like that they they've managed to you know it's like a one of the best marriages ever it, it's lasted yes um yes. and had tensions like a marriage and stuff like that and they did outside things um you know to make the relationship work but when you hear them reminisce reminisce about it now i don't think it's phony when they talk about that they're friends or that they're brothers and when, when we used to hang out in, this, in the 80s early 80s there was a lot of that funny stuff that you'll see in some funnier interviews now if you can get the two of them in the same interview But they talk fondly about each other because I think they realize after everything is done, they really are friends or they really are more like brothers. They're they're definitely
0: brothers. Yeah. You know, they say that all the time. We are brothers. But as brothers, you don't always get along with your brother. You don't always get along with your sibling. You don't always hang out and do the same stuff. Oh, yeah. With exactly. your, it's not it's not like, hey, Gene, I'm not doing anything. You want to come up and barbecue this weekend? It's like, yeah. no, that, that, <laughs> no, that, it's not that kind of relationship.
2: No, it's not. It's not. There were, but again, there, it was that way for a lot of years. And I don't know how they went, went from 73 to 80 something without still having that. Because, again, we, the three of us would go out. You know, it's not like then there were separate nights and stuff. But the thing is, we would they would still socialize
0: when Um, during the 80s. When did you start to sort of drift away from them? Them.
2: I think they started to maybe drift away more than me. I'll never forget in the early 90s. Paul and I stayed friendly all the way through into the 90s, the China Club days and stuff like that. I think one thing that offended him once is that he. You go to the China Club all the time and stuff and I said I got he and Billy Square I sat down and I just left the table with them and they just couldn't understand how they could each be different people. I mean one could one, one was an artist who was himself on stage and the other one was a guy who was introspective and quiet and Paul was very very kind of quiet um, not you know not not crazy, not the he, he knew when to draw attention, but he never, he really wasn't the guy to draw the attention. He was very sociable and spoke to everybody he could, which was fine. But one night, I I was kind of missed the cue. He said, I'm going to go back. He'd broken up with Lisa Harp. Um, And he said to me, I'm going to go to my apartment. And I didn't take the clue to go, let's go with me. And the next day, he called me up and very gently, but firmly said to me, you really disappointed me last night. So he valued his friends. And if his friends screw up a few more times, you're not going to be friendly. And that that was still early. That was... We just kinda of drifted. I was doing a lot of touring in those days, going to Europe, I'm going to Asia, going to South America and stuff, and just kind of drifted apart. Um I didn't know how drifted apart it was, except when I ran into them and when they did the first reunion tour in ninety eight. I mean 96. Is that the first one? Ninety six, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he's taking he's taking Evan remembers meeting me when he was five years old, but they were they were I'm shopping at the dollar store near my house because I have to. And Paul's at the plaza and he's taking Evan to the dollar store to buy him toys. Um, and so i gonna, I said FAO Schwartz is across the street, but no, he's we're at the dollar store, and, and there's a uh, Pam and him, and uh, whoever was the security guy. And he's and he introduced me to her in '98 as this is Mitch Weiss when I used to work with him a lot in the 80s, not my friends, not my ex friend anything, just like i have been relegated to a guy from the 80s. That you worked with. Um, yeah, that I worked with. In 2003, when I moved to California, I ran into him at the sushi place we used to go to in Valley Terra Sushi, and I was with, taking Jackie there, and he's there with Pamela, and apparently that was when they were finalizing decisions to split up and stuff like that. Um, and I gave him my business card, and Jackie said he threw it on the floor, and um mm. might not have been the right time to give him the card. I'll give him the credit one way or the other. But then they had those issues and then Gene told me Jean <laughs> told me the story. And I used to stay at Gene's house across the street from Cher in, in the canyon. Um Coldwater Canyon. So if I had Beetle Gigs, I had the I had the <laughs> passcode and I, you know, punch the numbers in, go inside, go upstairs to the apartment above the garage, which looked like a seventies, seventies hot tub mosaic and stone and something like that. And that was my place for two or three days. Shannon was in the the, the ranch house, but I never saw her. Um, and I'd stay there, but Gene told me stories about Paul staying there when he was having his problems with with Pamela. Ted Nugent staying there, and Gene said, I got rid of that apartment when I came down to bring Ted coffee, and he rolled out of bed with a 357. I <laughs> <laughs> said, so like, I think I need to get rid of this house. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: <laughs> Mitch, dear, you know, were you around with Paul when he did his solo tour in the 80s? I was around. Do you do you remember any anything that was going on at that time? Because again, there's I'm a really, lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of speculation looking back that that was Paul kind of signaling to Gene. Uh, I got a band and I don't need you.
2: I don't think I got to that point. I mean, I did see him when he put together a band one night for a uh, China Club. I used to host a band. I used to host a jam on Wednesday nights, and I, it was almost like. Almost like uh, solid gold. I'd be the music would come down. I would come up and MC it and say, Hey, we're going to have this guy coming up next, next three. I'd be, like three bands, a band come up and do three songs and leave. And, and, and some of them would be celebrity conglomerations. There'd be a house band. The house band would be Steve Ferroni on drums or Alan Childs. Um, Carmen Rojas on bass. Um, Jeff Golub on guitar. And then they overcame to the visit. We would huddle and go out and do the songs. And these guys were so good; they would sound like the records or whatever. So, and then I used to rehearse a day before, and uh, at Sir, um, the band would get there. The guys would sometimes come and do it. And then if nobody if nobody showed up, nobody got bad press because I never told anybody who was coming, including the the club owners. So "You guys are some big mouths. Forget it." So, Paul wanted to do one. So you got Tony Bruno. I forgot who else on drums. Eric Eric played drums for him. He did a, he did a cover set. One night at the China Club. And this was great thing about Eric was he was so insecure about playing drums, he needed his kit. So I'm how are you gonna get the entire kiss set? Yeah, you're kit you're on, kit. That, on that stage. But we had SIR bring it down and put it on the stage. And with all the everything, there's Eric sitting there. And there were drum techs I'm gonna go. I said, No, stay here. I don't know if this is gonna work. Eric is sitting on the stage looking at everything around him. And what he has to assemble. And he's just frozen because he hadn't set up drums in how long?
0: Yeah. He had somebody else do it.
2: And as I'm watching, he's picking up stuff and he's getting it in there and he's got, and now he's in the rhythm. And then I told the drum tech, you can go now. Eric told me after that, he said, okay, from now on, if you want me to jam, I can play on a four piece kit. I just needed to get that out of my system. So, and they played. He played all these, uh, Paul played these songs. I was supposed to play bass, but Bobby Held got in there and, and showed up to rehearsal before before I got there. Um, So I never... We used to jam on stage all the time and sing stuff and things. But I have these great photos of me singing all right now, and the backing vocalists are Klaus Meine, Paul Stanley, Paul Young, so-and-so. And And the only reason I would sing is if somebody hadn't shown up to do their spot. So I would be... I would sing Layla. I would play the other guitar part with Elliot Easton. Um, uh, I had a lot of fun... In the 80s running these sort of nights and paul got an idea of it and he put together that band and then i guess it grew into the idea of this is fun i can tour and then i never i didn't know i guess i was gone again touring when he put that thing together and i think eric was now who played drums on that eric singer eric Eric singer Singer was the drummer on that tour yeah and the fractious stuff was happening with with poor eric um but then again he wasn't well but he was and there's conflicting stories about how they treated him at the end, you know, and I don't really know what's true. I, I'd like to believe Gene is, is as sorry as he can be about it, but I don't. I don't know. i not handled. I know that the Carr family wasn't happy when they showed up to the funeral.
0: Looking back, you know, as we wrap up here, and God, yeah. we could go into so many more stories here. But yeah, it's been it's been almost yeah. two hours. Looking yeah. back over. Your My wife ta- left the house. Your time writing with Gene and or Paul.
2: Right,
0: is there a favorite song that you were part of? A favorite Kiss song that you were part of?
2: I really thought some of them. There's a few songs that haven't even been released. I'm, I, I think are as good if anything from the Lick It Up era, or the or Animal Eyes. I mean, it's, I and I don't the guys that are recording the song for me up in Buffalo now. Um, They've changed it, so it's still not my version. But it's good enough to go on another tribute record or something like that for charity. The way I did um, um, what's the song I did with Gene? I actually did, a, I'm the first guy to ever do a cover of his own song that was on a kiss record. And now, of course, I can't remember the name of the song. Uh, and it came out last fall. Um, Jesus, I can't, I can't believe it. It's funny, I don't remember my own name now. So, uh, i liked i really loved get all you can take but the decision to put in what fucking difference does it make got rid of all the airplay before alanis morris said before any of the bleeping went any of that stuff and the way we got that done was we're sitting on the phone i'm in paul's apartment on the phone jeans at his place on the phone or I'm with jeans we're both on the phone talking saying what can we what line can we make there we went through every single line lyric you could possibly sing and then paul's the one who called us and said i'm singing what fucking difference does it make and this was all about the uh, you know Tipper gore and the pc lyrics sure. and all the yep. stuff like that and he just went forget it and i, I think they he jokingly said we just lost walmart um <laughs> but it was a great song and i think the lyric stands and i think it really that's the way we were, we were trying to figure out every other way to say what because i know we, we first said that that's the first thing we said but we said, Oh, we can't say that then we spent hours Throwing different lines back and forth that were terrible, um, and then he did it. He just said, "No, we're going with that line." You know?
0: Wow. The I, 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 I you... love. Lo- so you know, as yeah. as we started this, I was said a lot of people don't know all this minutia. Yeah, right. this is incredible minutia. Yeah. Of do what you guys was know going
2: who, on? Do you guys know who picked the "Lick It Up" album cover?
0: What we've heard stories. Why don't you tell us what you know?
2: Uh, i know that it was me um <laughs> we're at you know the days of you know you've been business for a long time when you get the photos in the session you get the c prints all blown up right big size, yeah. lay them on the tables you do all this stuff things like that uh, i'm going I'm over at paul's apartment the one on 52nd street that he still had he that's the one bob kulik rented from him and then when the city of new york found out he had two apartments he had to give that one up there was some sort of statute you can't rent two apartments so he gave up the 152nd Street and he had the big place on uh, the nice place on, on Madison Avenue. Um, so uh, we're in that apartment and I'm in the, on the bathroom phone and out, stretching it out through the living room table. He's on his phone talking to Gene about what should be the cover. We're going through the photos. It's all generic 80s cover photos. You know, um, there is a photo that's the two photos are exactly the same. And apparently they look exactly the same. And apparently Paul has. Split, Chris Lance said he can't remember, but he thinks he spliced one of shot of Paul in a certain at the angle that he's out on the cover in from another photo. For the life of me, I never saw a difference between the photos. I mean, they all he had that pose down when the camera's clicking and he was Paul Stanley. But for some reason, he wanted a different one. Now, that's when he told me Vinny's wearing a wig and standing on a phone book because Vinny, he used to do this Vinny impersonation going. It oh, looks like a wet frog. Um but he's on a he's, his hair was terrible, so he had a wig. Eric's on a phone book because he's short also. And the photographer says to them, I look through the sea prints and I see the last the last picture with the tongue. And I said, What's the give me the story on this one? He said, Well, Gene just said the photographer said, I got one shot left, so I stuck out my tongue. I said, That's your cover. And they went, like, what do you mean? I said, Look, what is the one piece of Kiss gear that you can't remove? And will what will actually be the thing that somebody stares their cover one goes holy shit it's kiss because your tongue is out like yeah. your tongue usually is out and that is your crossover to recognize the band and i've had so many musicians tell me over the years that was absolutely brilliant i said i i, I got it as soon as that's all." yeah so i'm i said that's your picture that's your cover and they went interesting do do yeah. you,
0: do you do you remember them being concerned worried about by cover the time with I... no makeup, no costume. I mean, that was, that was, again, that's literally yeah. just them standing next to each other in regular yeah. street clothes. It was so, I mean, it's such a cool cover. It's iconic, yeah. but it's also so not rock and roll and even more so not kiss.
2: Yeah. When they didn't, you saw everything uh, they used to do. Well, they did. That was the first thing they did before they got into the, you know, the general 80s costuming, Fleur of Thurmeyer and all those people that designed their clothes. Um, that was maybe a little too normal. It was almost like a cheap trick cover, really. I yeah, mean, um, yeah. Paul's, Paul's pose, stick, stick Rick Nielsen's head on it. Um, but then uh, they're not really, and Gene's still ominous, so he that would that would have fit with what happened in the 80s. But uh, that's another story. He came back from Runaway and he had no hair. And they're about to launch into that big tour. Yeah,
0: he had to wear a wig. And so he,
2: said to, he says to us, where did you get your wigs in Beatlemania? I said, I'll, I'll take you. I took him down to, to what the hell was Bob's last name? I can't remember. Big white wig maker in the Broadway area, and we went upstairs and I introduced them to him. And they sat him in the chair. They put the plastic around his head, and they made the Gene Simmons wigs for for that tour. Um, Bob Kelly, that was the name of the guy. Um,
0: but but you know, w- with 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 lick it up in just that general period, because obviously you yeah. were there. Right. Was was there a lot of. A lot of worry, a lot of concern amongst Gene and Paul that, you know, boy, is this taking the makeup off going to work? Are we on our last By the time I talked
2: to them about it, by the time I talked to them, they had come to the decision this was the thing to do. And I know they talked to Danny Goldberg about it. Yeah. And they got advice from other people. And um, they were calm with it by that point in time. It was a big risk. But I think they, after picking the cover, because if they just showed up on the cover, I swear to God, if it wasn't for that tongue, you wouldn't know who the hell that damn band was. Right. Um, and that was a crucial moment because they were agonizing over the cover. We went this for a couple of nights, we're going over this stuff. Um, and I'm glad I was involved with it. Uh, but now they have the makeup off. Now they're, and they, again, that wasn't the best cover thing they could have done um, as a band. All four different outfits, um, nothing really consistent in terms of. Or metal or a band sort of thing. I mean, the makeup made that all consistent thing for them. The costumes are just extra outrageous stuff. It's the yeah, makeup. Yeah, but though. but I,
0: I and I get what you're saying. But I, yeah. I remember. I, I didn't
2: hear the tension. I know I, they were. I know they thought about it. But yeah,
0: I remember as a fan when mm. I got that cover. Uh, it was one of those things where, as plain and as simple as that cover was, uh, I literally just stared at and looked at every detail going. Yeah that's Gene Simmons. And that's, you know, you, yeah. as a fan, you were. it was almost the perfect cover to be able to do that and take in this big change that this yeah. band went
3: through.
2: I thought it was a great cover. I mean, just even without... There's the no distractions.
3: It. It's just yet, the band in a noticed, white background. I never yeah. noticed the hand, the arm, Gene's arm, for years and years until someone brought it up.
2: Oh yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I I never would have. I never caught it until someone else pointed it out. I'd looked at that thing a thousand times.
2: I'll I'll look at it again after we
3: close. No, because it's too, it's his arms really long, like yeah. they.
0: Yeah, they they cut and pasted an arm off of another photo. I mean, right. and, and and that's not unique to Kiss. Everybody does. No, that. yeah, no, it's, right. it's, 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 it's,
3: it's it's not. You it's know, not
0: right? B- right before before you had Photoshop, that's what you did. Somebody got yeah. out an Exacto knife and you cut this piece out and you overlaid it on this piece and
2: that's the industry i was in before i got did my music stuff i was a graphic designer yeah uh, worked in in the art studios and did a lot of comps and a lot of stuff a lot lot of things like that
0: mitch this this conversation um it was amazing amazing and and thank you you know we're not we're not we're not gonna wait 10 years to have you come back on because these stories are great And, and what makes them great is you have incredible memory of these stories still yeah. and yes, yeah. and and that's why we love to get people on is to record and document this stuff because as we all know as we all get older yeah. you start like geez i can't remember what i had for lunch yesterday you're asking you know i mean it was like when we had michael james jackson on we were asking him all of these questions and he's just like I I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I know exactly. That that, that was forty years ago. Like Shatner,
2: get a life. Get a life. I mean, I I, I don't know. I haven't listened.
0: I haven't listened to the album I produced for these guys in thirty-five years. And you're asking me the details of who did this this riff. It's like (laughs) I don't know. Um, But anyway, so, so Mitch, before we wrap up here, do you have anything you want to promote? Do you have a website? Do you, is there anything you want to send the listeners of three sides of the coin to, do you want to make them aware
2: of? Uh, You can follow me on Facebook. It's just, you know, just look for me on Facebook. There's a picture of me with Michael Jackson, Andy Warhol and Steven Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very recognizable page. I have two pages, a fan page and that one. Uh, I don't post too much on it now because I'm kind of in between projects. I have a little bit of carpal tunnel in my left hand, so I'm not really playing. I can play bass and stuff, but just when I wanted to start reviewing songs and writing and recording them again, I can't do it yet. So I am singing on some of these projects. There's a a record that was done last year, last fall, um, Detroit, not Detroit, Buffalo Rock City. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. So and, I'm on that one. And that's well, while the city sleeps, that's what's, that's the song that I did. Okay. Yeah. with gene and so I, so yeah, so for, first guy to do one of his, one of the kiss songs and the songwriter to actually do the cover. So that's on there. James Cena produced it. A lot of people contributed their time. There's another version coming up in this song. What you see is what you get, which is some very bad demos out there online. Um, that's being re-recorded. I have some other tracks that I really would like to do that were. Jane and Paul and mine compositions. So, uh, but it's you know I'm getting older. People updated I'll... with all that information. I will for sure, absolutely. When that ha- when that comes, out second one comes out, I'll let you know. Go but
0: go 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 go. Try and dig up what what demos you've got from the Creatures era. I think yeah, people would I'll love to hear that stuff.
2: I, I, yeah I mean a lot of people love that and they're just regular porta studio demos I mean it's just and there's noise and whatever compression but who cares the songs are there and they sound great
3: They want, yeah they want to hear it and it's the 40th anniversary and they've got the big box set coming out
2: so that's right yeah, yeah. you know yep
3: so know. so
0: so, Mitch again this was this was fascinating it's been it's been two hours so Holy crap. Th- thank you well, we- I mean <laughs> <laughs> that that's the way it goes all the time when we get amazing guests on we yeah. start talking and then it's like holy crap we've been here for two hours and we yeah. can just keep going and go into great detail but you did an amazing job yes covering well, you. covering you, you know at a high level a lot of stuff here that that we learned a lot learned a lot and helps paint the picture of when next time you're listening to animalize you'll have a a different understanding and a different picture of that album, and
2: yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, guys. It was my pleasure, and thanks so much for asking me. And any any time, call me back. I'll I'll I remember more stuff. <laughs>
0: awesome, awesome. Out. Anytime sure. you got something to promote, let us know, and we'll be
2: happy. I will to. let you know for sure. Thank All you right. so much. Thanks, right, Mitch. If you have something to say, leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call three two zero five one five four seven
0: seven okay guys that one goes up to the top is one of one of the the better interviews we've done mitch mitch covered so much recalled so much stuff and and i know i know we're gonna get the well how come you didn't go into great detail on this it's just like guys we could have gone into we could have spent two hours on just one of those topics of and, and what would that have? Him.
3: And that what would have that served? It's better off to get a, a buffet of all of it and get a little bit of something because we learned, I like personally, I learned so much stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not the geek of all kiss knowledge here, and I had no idea that Mitch had so much involvement over so long a period of time. Right. I didn't. you know, I knew he was. I knew he was a so, a songwriter with them. But, you know, we're talking all the way back to 76 yeah. and, uh, you know, up through the the 90s here. I think um, all of
3: you guys are really going to. Yeah, I think that, that everyone that listens to this hopefully really enjoyed it as much as we did.
0: Yeah, I mean, so many great stories that, that Mitch shared. So, I, I, you know, for homework, I would just ask, what was the one thing that Mitch discussed or talked about that was... News to you that kind of had you going. Wow, really? I didn't know that.
3: Yeah, I'm curious to hear what people have to say.
0: I mean, he he covered so much about just being friends with them to talking about the difference between writing songs with Paul versus Gene. You know, even the 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 bit of insight he had into the dynamics that were going on through the '80s there. Right. So that, that's your homework. What, what was the best part of this interview? What did you learn? Um, what do you maybe want us to dig into greater detail on next time? Yeah. Because there will I like be that. a next time. I, you know, Mitch has got yeah. so much to share. Um, all right. Just a quick reminder. Don't forget about Three Sides of the Coin Radio. Just go to threesidesofthecoinradio.com. You will find all of the details on how to launch it how to listen to it everything you need to do to listen to kiss music 24 365 um mark you got any shows anything you want to plug no we just finished up uh two weeks uh and been playing a ton so
3: yeah it's been going really good so he wants to plug his pie hole with dinner <laughs> yeah which i've been getting uh like you coming up <laughs>
0: You've yeah. been get you've been you've been getting the warnings from upstairs. It's like yeah, dinner's yeah, ready. Are so you, you coming up? Let's wrap. Let's um, wrap. all right. So the next thing is Kiss Cruise, guys. I mean Kiss Cruise, and then we got a show in Tokyo. <clears throat> still no word on what these hundred additional Mexico. Well, they got Mexico. They got Mexico
3: yeah, there's City. a Mexico
0: festival they announced. There's a Tokyo show. Um, but yeah, we're still waiting on what are these hundred additional shows. You know, Paul has talked about he's ready to get back out, and there's so many places they still want to play. So, clearly, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. That's it, everybody. Three Sides of the Coin. We'll see everybody next week.
2: Voices for Three Sides of the Coin, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's
1: Mars with a Z.